Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I thought it would be good to do an episode reflecting on parenting milestones. Part of the inspiration is that both of my kids graduated in milestone years, one finishing high school, one finishing elementary school. But I think this episode will speak to all parents because in some ways, Every year is another chunk in the journey and feels like a milestone. And I just have many thoughts. So I wanted to talk today a little bit about them. I'm actually recording this episode on the very last day of school as we complete elementary school. We started at this elementary school 13 years ago with just one break year between kids because my kids are far apart with six and a half years between them. So these transitions are really on my mind. Another thing I've been thinking about is that over the weekend, I created our three-month poster board calendar. I'm sure listeners who've been with me for a while know about the calendar. It's very old school. It prevents me from being the gatekeeper to all the scheduling things. And the calendar includes the months of July, August, and September. And oh my goodness, take kid to college is on this quarterly calendar. <laughs> so that was a that was a real sink in moment for sure. And then finally, the last point of inspiration is that the arc of my new, I'm using air quotes because I've been at this for a while now, but my new professional life really started when I became a parent 17 years ago, or at the very least was a significant catalyst to it. So I wanted to share some of that arc, some things you may have heard before on this podcast, or if you've listened to me guest on other shows, and some not. And then also I wanted to close with some lessons that I've learned in this season of massive milestones. It was a lot. I have to admit, it was a lot. (laughs) 
it was a lot and there was also a lot of wonderful in it. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So let's start with the very beginning. Laurel, my firstborn, she was born in 2004. And at that time, I was a postdoctoral fellow. And it was awful, but I really tried to stay in the game. New parenting, obviously, was such a complete blur. And amidst that, I also felt a ton of pressure as a woman of color. I had reached this place of ultimate pedigree. It was a triple joint appointment at Mass General Hospital, Harvard Medical School, and MIT. And it was also just completely miserable for me. When Laurel was born, or in the in the months preceding that, as I was trying to figure things out, I had had people say, oh, just like, don't worry about leave officially. It'll all work out in the wash. But I really wanted boundaries. I was on an NIH grant and it gave 30 days of maternity leave. <laughs> awesome. I fought for three months. It was a lot of red tape. I had to go on unpaid leave and that felt like a huge victory. But now when I think of it, of course, like three months, LOL. So the big pivotal thing about returning to work was that the weekend before I was slated to go back to work, my dad's health took a major turn for the worse, and I needed to reevaluate. Initially, this was pure logistics because my parents were my childcare solution, but then it became so much more than that. And part of the motivation, quite frankly, to make change was that I also wasn't very happy in my job as a postdoc. So I negotiated to go back in incremental fashion. I started out very part-time in January of 2005, 
And my plan was to gradually ramp up back to full time by September 2005. So to give myself a nine month runway to gradually work my way back up. And that would give me time to sort of cobble together a new childcare situation, et cetera. When I did go back, even just part time, I was tremendously unhappy. There were so many moments that now when I think of them, just feel like they were signs. For example, the first time I decided to visit my lab and I brought Laurel and she just screamed the entire time. That could just be baby screaming, but it also just felt like her energy was like, dude, this space is not for you. I remember it wasn't a very mom-friendly kind of environment, obviously. I mean, MIT, actually, where I was spending most of my time running experiments, had a maternity room, but I would have to walk 20 minutes there to pump if I was going to do that. And then back, obviously, that was not sustainable. So I had many memories of pumping milk in a single stall bathroom with people knocking on the door. And oh my gosh, it was just miserable. And for some reason, the outlet was next to the toilet. So I had to pump squatting next to the toilet because there was no lid on the toilet. It was just awful. And of course, taking Laurel to daycare eventually was really hard. She was a very attached kid. She sobbed. She didn't want to go. It was just, there were a lot of signs pointing me to a different path. My father died actually in July of 2005 while I was in this ramp up. And the last seven months of his life were just so eye-opening. I've, I've talked about this I think on this show before and in other places, but I think it's just worth noting that part of what I did when I decided to not go back to work full time in January was to spend as much time as I could with my parents, not in any formal way, but just to help out and be around and have him get to know my little baby. And it was such an interesting an incredible time because it was so mundane. You know, the big deal was that they were sort of fascinated by the American sandwiches that I would make. So (laughs) calling in their order for the sandwiches that I would bring was kind of a big deal and very fun for them. And I just saw this softer side. I mean, my dad was seeing physical therapists. He had nurses coming in and he was so charming and gentle with them all. And it was a completely different side that I'd never seen as a child myself, where he was mostly this terrifying person. So (laughs) it was, it was awesome. And it was closure. It was the kind of thing you sort of dream about having in a really difficult relationship. And it actually happened with no intentional major effort. It just, it just kind of evolved that way, which was wonderful. Sometime after my dad passed away, I was still working in academia, but The next phase in the journey was really when I found the internet. And I remember sitting, I was a new parent. And so I had a lot of friends who had also become new parents. And because I was such a research nerd, I would research things ad nauseum. And so my friends would ask me, what what are you getting? And I found myself emailing a lot of links and spreadsheets around and things like that. And at one point I was chatting with a friend of mine and I said, oh, I just wish there was like one place I could put all this stuff. So I didn't have to keep sending these links around. And my internet friend was like, dude, you need to start a blog. (laughs) And my friend Andrew, you know, he installed movable type for me and helped me get set up. I had never even read a blog. I did not know what they were. And I will say I just 
fell in love instantly with this mere concept that you could push a button and publish something, especially given that my context was in academia where it takes a really long time to publish anything. So I officially launched my first property on the internet, Boston Mamas, July 2006. But the idea of Sparks had started a bit before that, and I had been working you know, feverishly to generate content. I really wanted to, there to be a bunch of content before I went live. And things took off quickly. I decided to leave academia just a month later. I was on the brink of preparing faculty applications, and I just sort of had this moment where I think the pain and suffering that I endured was too much. I was in a really bad place. My relationship with my advisor was difficult. My hair was falling out from stress. There was a lot going on. And the distress I was feeling actually made it easier to leap, even though this was a career I had invested so much time in and I was positioned so well as somebody who had earned both pre-doctoral and postdoctoral NIH grants, and I had this very fancy resume now, I was in a really good position to get an academic job. And I didn't have a financial plan, but I jumped. <laughs> it was wild. And I did have the support of my husband to make that leap, and he didn't question it at all. He could see what was happening to me and encouraged me to jump. So that is a huge um privilege and benefit that I had at that time. So John actually often says that sometimes you need to create the space in order for other things to come in. And that certainly was the case. I started, I had a freelance editing offer not long after I left academia, which was sort of wild. The blog wasn't making money at that point. It was just gaining in popularity and, and starting to get attention. In the next year, I started a paper design company called Posh Peacock, inspired because actually while I was waiting for my postdoc grant to come in and was feeling a little sloth in my intentional unemployment, I applied for a job at Paper Source, the paper, incredible paper company and gift company, and had worked there and discovered my creative side. So I started a design business because why not? And the interesting thing is in that next window, things started to grow and hum with this new internet life that I carved out. But while all that was going on, I was struggling deeply personally because I was experiencing at the time what I thought was secondary infertility. I was in that stage that I'm sure many women listening might have some experience with where I was trying to get pregnant again. And for some reason, nothing was working. And I was peeing on endless ovulation sticks and tracking things. And it just wasn't happening. And every period cycle felt like a failure. And oh my goodness, the feelings wrapped up in that are just difficult and painful and something that a lot of people don't talk about. It was so weird and hard. So that continued on for some number of years, actually. And then as happens in the universe, I finally made my peace that we were going to be a three-person family. I was going to be a mom of one. We had abundance in our lives, and I just needed to settle into that. I gave away, donated all of the baby things that we had in our basement, and then 
literally a month later, learned that I was pregnant. (laughs) It was just so classic. And I remember that moment so clearly because I wasn't feeling something definitely felt off. It was probably the sore boobs. And so I remember I had a few pregnancy tests probably because, you know, you go through that cycle where you're late and you think, oh, maybe this is it. And then it's not it. Peed on the stick. It was positive. And I remember I was running out the door to an event I was doing downtown. And so I just handed the pregnancy test to my husband and said, we will discuss it later. And then life was sort of crazy and we didn't even talk about it for a few days. (laughs) So that was just so wild. But Violet was born March 2011. So this is six and a half years after Laurel was born. And it was notable in that I was in a totally different place professionally. When Laurel was born, I hated my job. I didn't want to go back. I was sort of staring down my return to work with doom. At the time I was born, life was pretty great. And I was loving work. And um, I think I just, you know, hopped back into blogging like a week later or whatever. It was it was so different. It was remarkable. And interestingly, I hadn't really thought about it until I made some notes and I I had to look at my own LinkedIn profile to remember when I did things, but things really started popping after she was born. In September 2011, just a handful of months after she was born, I started officially consulting with Women Online, which was acquired last year by Gavin Communication. I'm the creative director of Social Impact. That's my official title, but basically I love all things social impact and creating interesting messaging, having sort of weird ideas sometimes. So that is a big chunk of my professional life. In March of 2013, Asha and I published Minimalist Parenting. So I was writing and working on that book when Vi was baby. In August of 2015, two years later, I started this podcast with Asha. About a year after that, I launched Brave New World Designs, which was my advocacy apparel company that I launched with my husband after the 2016 election. It was a way to channel our rage and distress in a creative way. In June 2020, amidst the beginnings of the pandemic, John and I launched our season of Hello Relationships, a podcast that I would like to bring back at some point and we keep talking about it and we keep not doing it, but maybe one of these days we will do it. And then last year in February, 2021, I kicked off this intention to try to see if I could write some major media pieces. And wildly enough, I kicked that off with a feature at the Washington Post that kind of went viral and then it led to many other things. And it's been just incredible. It's incredible. and. I actually have an idea percolating for an episode forthcoming that is really actually about pausing intentionally on new things and nurturing what you've got. And so anyway, so I'm in this phase right now where I have a lot of irons in the fire and I sort of feel like I have too many irons in the fire and I'm trying to make some intentional choices. So that stay tuned. That is forthcoming, I hope. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast 
for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. So that was just a very broad strokes with some details, with some color commentary arc of the journey from becoming a parent and how much my day-to-day life as a professional person has evolved and changed and how the creative projects have changed over the years. But it is really incredible to think about that because my oldest is 17. You know, it's been 17 years and a lot of stuff has happened (laughs) and it's been amazing. And truly, I thank you for being part of that. You are all part of that. So I wanted to move on to talk about some lessons I've learned. And I'm glad I sort of, I had the idea for this episode maybe like a month ago. And so I just took some quick notes along the way so I wouldn't forget, which I was glad. So I want to talk about the lessons learned during this season of massive change and milestones. And a lot of these things are applicable to whatever year you're in. It doesn't have to be a big milestone year, but that is my lens because that is my experience right now. The first thing I want to share is that you do not have to be at all the things, but it's also hard to have to miss things. And I will link up an Instagram post I wrote about this and I will put that in the show notes. The inspiration for that was my frustration about the ever-changing schedule and how disruptive that was for somebody who has work commitments and meetings and things, and changing anything means having to change several other things. And it was a really good time to reflect that you also, whether it's at the end of the year or during the year, You don't have to be at all the things, and that's okay, as long as there is a general baseline of caring in place. 
your kids will understand. And it is still okay to have those feelings of frustration and guilt or whatever. All the feelings are valid. My second lesson is that maybe I'm old school. Maybe it's because I worked at Paper Source. Who knows? But I still believe that thank you cards are one of the most powerful small gestures or thank you emails, both of those things. Even if your handwriting is terrible, (laughs) I actually decided for both of my kids, I wrote thank you notes and in a couple cases, emails um, to teachers who had been formative for them across their different years. and. In some cases, this was me, for example, writing to an elementary school teacher who had impacted my now graduating senior. And those messages meant a lot from what I heard back. So I think any moment you can acknowledge somebody is wonderful. And I would encourage you to do that in whatever way you can. And I didn't go buy cards. I just used whatever I had around the house. The third thing I want to share is that Sometimes chaos can lead to beautiful things. (laughs) So the week of Laurel's graduation, it was chaotic. It had already been chaotic because the previous week was senior week. There were a million award ceremonies. There was prom. There were so many things. And the day before graduation, they rescheduled graduation due to the weather. It immediately felt massively chaotic. We had a party planned for before graduation. We had boarded the dog because our dog would not be able to deal with that many people. It just felt like another shifting thing that I, I just, I was really frustrated (laughs) and also had no choice, but to roll with it. That was just what was happening. I did hold out a little bit thinking, okay, will they change it back? Should I, when do I start actually moving things? We finally decided to leave our pre-graduation, original graduation party in place. That was a Wednesday. And then we'd have the new graduation on Thursday. And it did mean that a few people could not, who were planning on attending graduation could not make it on Thursday. But ultimately, it all actually worked out a lot better. More people were able to celebrate across those two days than if everything had been on one day. We didn't have to rush. That was the big thing. Originally, our party was going to be one and a half to two hours max right before graduation. And then we had to jet. And that involved getting older relatives where they needed to go, finding parking, dealing with all that, et cetera. So it was it was already going to be pretty tight. So it ended up just being beautiful and fun and wonderful. And so that was a very good reminder to me. Sometimes chaos can lead to beauty. Another thing I want to remind people of is that recovery time is always important. On this show, I've often talked about that in the lens of travel and work and how I've learned over the years to build in buffer time around my travel. And I did not anticipate that after we made it through graduation, we made it through the party, we made it through, there was something else. Oh, it was our John and my anniversary, the Friday after graduation. That Saturday, I woke up feeling just really off, but not like COVID. I didn't, ha- I didn't have COVID symptoms, but I felt exhausted. I just couldn't even keep my eyes open. I took like three COVID tests, three days sequentially. It was not COVID. I was just 
incredibly tired. And I really hadn't thought to build in any of that buffer time around these social things because they just felt like social things. And yes, I felt bad that I had to miss a couple graduation parties because I could not get off my couch. But that time to lie around was really important and I needed it. I, I couldn't do anything else. The next thing is a really minor thing, but I just want to encourage you now and always wear your mask inside if you want to. It is fine. <laughs> I, for all of these school events that happened inside, I wore a mask and I was just trying to hang in there till the end of the school year so we didn't miss anything else. And I was definitely in the minority. But it was definitely what I needed to do for my comfort level, and it was perfectly fine. So if that's you, just do you. Another thing I want to recommend, if you have more than one kid and they have some kind of milestone or transition coming up, is ask them how they want to acknowledge that. I'm always a fan of asking kids for input because sometimes they're super creative. I mean, sometimes they ask for things that seem outlandish, of course, but they know themselves and they will probably have a good read on things. And I just point this out because when I asked Laurel about a party and whether she wanted that, she definitely wanted that. Like she is a celebrator. It was going to be fun. When I asked Violet, she did not want a party. She did not want a big to do like an ice cream cone at the end of the year is perfectly fine for her. So just ask and respect whatever those decisions are. That's a good thing. Keep listening always. And the last lesson I want to share, and I feel like this is relevant for always, is that you can celebrate these everyday things even when the world is in the crapper. I think especially given how difficult the news is and has been, and I feel so many of these things so deeply, it is very confusing sometimes to feel like, oh, well, this little everyday moment, it feels ridiculous to call attention to this and feel like we can celebrate this when there's so much other terrible stuff going on. But as I've said many times, written in written form and on this show, we as humans have an incredible capacity to hold joy and pain simultaneously And we need those small, everyday touch points with joy in order to help us get through the big, hard stuff. So celebrate, however that looks for you, but don't feel bad about relishing in these small, everyday moments because these are the things that we have right in front of us, and they're so important. I hope this window into the arc of parenting milestones. Gosh, it's really wild to think that I'm speaking here from the lens of a zero to 17-year-old arc, and I just feel incredibly grateful to be able to do that. So thank you for listening. For your next edit, as people know, this is the super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. I would like to ask you to do something kind and celebratory for yourself. If you are a fellow parent, no matter what year your kid is in, or if you're homeschooling or whatever the situation, you have made it through a lot. (laughs) And not surprisingly and appropriately, this is the season of celebrating kids and the things that they're doing and their closure and their milestones. 
And you helped make that happen. You gave them lunch money. You packed a million lunches. You kept snacks around. You got them to extracurricular activities. You helped navigate homework meltdowns. You connected with the teacher. You did a million things. And now it's time to do something for yourself. Even if it's like a 10 minute something. I would love for you to tell me about those things, actually. I hope you will on social. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life, a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.